Welcome to the LA Public Health Podcast for Monday, August 3rd, 2020. I'm Steve Baldwin, and today's show includes comments from LA County Board of Supervisors Chair Catherine Barger, followed by an update on COVID-19 led by Dr. Barbara Ferrer, Director of the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Last week, we dropped two interviews in the podcast feed, episode 26 featuring Hema Morales-Meyer on the topic of contact tracing, and episode 27 featuring Heather Jew Northover and focused on health equity. Both Hema and Heather are experts in their field and were great interviews. I highly recommend going back and listening to both. They're only about 20 minutes long and perfect for your drive home. Also, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any of the programming we have lined up. And while you're at it, leave us a review in your podcast app and let us know what you think of the show so far. And now, Supervisor Barger. Hello and good afternoon. Thank you for joining us for today's press briefing. I'm Supervisor Catherine Barger, Chair of the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors. I'm joined today by Dr. Barbara Ferrer, the Director of the Department of Public Health, who will provide an update on the COVID-19 case counts and recent trends in Los Angeles County. The need for COVID-19 testing continues to rise and we are working to further expand capacity at our testing locations. Los Angeles County has launched three new testing sites to increase access in high need areas, including Montebello, Southgate, and Panorama City. If you, need, if you think you need a test, please call your doctor first. Testing is best done by a healthcare provider so they can continue to monitor you. Testing at all county operated sites are prioritized for one, people with COVID-19 symptoms. Two, people working or living in congregate settings such as skilled nursing facilities, group homes, and residential care facilities. Three, people experiencing homelessness. And last, people who were in close contact with someone with COVID-19. So far, more than 1.7 million people in Los Angeles County have been tested for COVID-19 with a positive test rate of 10% with the seven-day average now at 6.9%. The impacts of the coronavirus continue to affect residents and our local businesses. The unemployment rate in Los Angeles County is hovering at around 21%, according to the most recent data from the California Employment Development Department. We have hundreds of thousands of unemployment claims filed in the state during this pandemic. Even with services provided to businesses through the Disaster Help Center and layoff aversion programs, employers and employees are still struggling. To help, the LA Regional COVID Fund provides recovery grants to small businesses, nonprofits, and microenterprises. The third round opens today and lasts until February, Friday, February, or I'm sorry, Friday, August 7th. To apply or ask questions, visit LA COVID fund.org, or you may call 833-238-4450. Again, the third route opens today and lasts until Friday, August 7th. Older adults are also facing hardships, battling isolation and searching for critical services. The county continues to partner with the state and local leaders, along with nonprofits and restaurants, to provide much-needed food to families and to our older adults. Earlier this summer, the county partnered with the Governor's Office of Emergency Services to implement the Great Plates program. This initiative provides eligible seniors three home-delivered meals a day. We're grateful to share Great Plates, and, and it's been extended now through September 9th. Seniors over 65, seniors between 60 
and 64 who have been diagnosed or exposed to COVID-19, and those who might be at high risk may qualify for this program. To date, 500,000 meals have been delivered through the Great Plates program, helping those in need while supporting our local restaurants. If you or someone you know is interested in learning more about the Great Plates program or any of the other food distribution resources available throughout the county, please visit covid19.lacounty.gov. Again, covid19.lacounty.gov. Meanwhile, working to reopen LA County continues to be our goal. Poverty and economic turmoil, turmoil may have a devastating impact on the health of our residents, but we are still susceptible to COVID-19. So please, please follow health practices now that will allow us to get back to work and, normal, and into a normal life soon. Masks and other basic public health practices really do make a big difference, as you can see in the positive numbers showing today. COVID-19 is spread through respiratory droplets from coughing or talking. Wearing a cloth face covering over your nose and mouth and keeping your distance from others will prevent the spread of droplets. Also, wash your hands frequently. Avoid touching your face, stay home when you're sick, and regularly clean the surfaces you touch. If we all do our part to protect ourselves and our neighbors, we can safely continue on our path toward recovery. It will take all of us working together to keep our communities safe and maintain our progress. With that, I would like to introduce Dr. Barbara Ferrer to give you the daily numbers. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Supervisor Barger, and all the members of the Board of Supervisors. I'm thankful for your guidance and your leadership as we're working together with all of our residents to slow the spread of this virus. And good afternoon, everyone. We're at the start of a new week, a new month, and we're cautiously optimistic that we're getting back on track to slowing the spread of COVID-19. I want to emphasize the word cautiously. We're still seeing that on average last week, 2,000 people were hospitalized each day. But the good news is those numbers have started to come down and we're not seeing the increases that we saw just a few weeks ago. And though we tragically continue to see our family, friends, and neighbors die as a result of COVID-19, we do hope because we're seeing the number of people hospitalized stabilize that we'll start to see fewer people passing away. And the number of new cases each day has also come down, and it's now below 3,000 cases, somewhere between 2,500 and 2,700 cases a day. It's still really high, but it does show progress. And in a moment, I'll have some slides to show you these trends. Uh, these positive trends that we're seeing, though, can be attributed to a variety of things, but all of them entailed significant sacrifices from so many people across the county and all of them decreased opportunities for transmission, particularly in high-risk settings. Simply put, closing the bars worked. It also worked to limit indoor dining at restaurants and to move the operations of various businesses and institutions outdoors. This is particularly true in those places where customers were not gonna be able to wear their face coverings and or they were in crowded situations. Alongside of these changes, we continue to focus on those who are most vulnerable, our families, friends, neighbors who live in nursing homes, where we see now, finally, some reduced rates of transmission. And as a result, 
we have also seen fewer deaths among nursing home residents since early June. And I will provide some updated information on our efforts at skilled nursing facilities in a few minutes. We've also continued our contact tracing efforts. And as I noted before, contact tracing is just one tool in our toolbox, but it's an important tool. We continue to enhance and expand our efforts, uh, but so far, we believe our efforts have saved hundreds of lives, and I'll share some additional information on contact tracing in a minute as well. But I do want to give credit where credit is due. A large reason why we're seeing the decline is because residents heard the warning, heeded the orders, and took personal basic actions that were needed to slow the virus. Folks wore their face coverings, they maintained physical distance from people they didn't live with, they avoided gatherings and parties, and they washed their hands. The big question is, where do we go from here? For our long-term success, we need to be able to limit the spread of COVID-19 for many, many weeks to come, and we need to do this while we move forward on a recovery journey. We need to understand that we are, in fact, creating a new normal. We can't go back to life as we knew it before March, not right now. A few months ago, when we collectively and successfully flattened the curve and we reopened many of our key businesses and community sectors, a lot of us decided that that meant we could resume life as we knew it before the pandemic hit. We simply can't do this again. We still have a ways to go to reduce community transmission, most importantly, so that we can get off of the state's monitoring list, and that's a major indicator of our progress. With that in mind, we need to understand our most important collective goals. First and foremost, we need to slow the spread of COVID-19 because that's what protects our healthcare system from being overwhelmed. Slowing the spread also allows us to accomplish the next set of critical goals, which is getting more people back to work and reopening schools for in-classroom instruction. Both require that our community transmission rates drop. For schools to reopen, we need to get off the state monitoring list, and that means we need to make sure that our case rate is below 100 cases per 100,000 people. We're now at about 355 cases per 100,000 people, but this is down from last week when we were at 400 cases per 100,000 people. So while we have a ways to go, I think we know what we need to do to get there. We all need to do our part, including wearing a face covering every time we leave our houses, avoiding social gatherings, and ensuring that our workplaces are safe for both employees and customers. Now I do want to, indicate, now I do want to update you on a few key trends and sectors today. First, as always, I'll provide today's daily updates. Uh, then I want to update you on some trends we saw in the month of July. I also want to give you some information about our contact tracing efforts and then share an update both on skilled nursing facilities and uh, our healthcare workers. And so with that, I'm going to start with the daily report. And I'm sad to report an additional 12 deaths today. Uh, and I think the numbers are low as always on Mondays because of reporting lags. Two of the people who passed away are over the age of 80, and these two people who passed away had underlying health conditions. Four of the people who died are between the ages of 65 and 79, 
and two people in this age group who passed away had underlying health conditions. Three people who passed away are between the ages of 50 and 64, and two people in this age group also had underlying health conditions. Two people who died were between the ages of 30 and 49, and both of these people also had underlying health conditions. There's information on one death that's reported by the city of Pasadena, and it's available at cityofpasadena.net. This does bring the total number of deaths in LA County to 4,701. And to all those who are grieving, know that our community grieves with you, and we're sending you wishes of peace and healing. 92% of the people who have died from COVID-19 had underlying health conditions. For the 4,397 people who passed away where race and ethnicity has been identified, the percentages remain relatively stable. 48% are Latinx, 25% are white, 15% are Asian, 11% are black, slightly less than 1% are Native American or Pacific Islander, and 1% identified with another race or ethnicity. I am reporting 1,634 new cases today. And again, uh, as a reminder, uh, we think there's a lag in reporting over the weekend, so we anticipate the numbers will go back up tomorrow. This does bring the total number of cases in LA County to 193,788. These cases include a total of 8,285 cases reported by our partners in the city of Long Beach and 2,004 cases reported by the city of Pasadena, both of which have independent health departments. We're also reporting 1,127 confirmed cases amongst people experiencing homelessness. 363 were referred to isolation and quarantine sites to appropriately isolate for the duration of their illness. 1,784 confirmed cases are currently hospitalized. 30% of the people who have confirmed cases are the intensive care unit and 18% are on ventilators. We've investigated a total of 1,305 residential congregate settings and non-residential settings with at least one confirmed case of COVID-19. Currently, we have 864 active investigations and we've closed investigations at 441 sites. Residential settings do include nursing homes, assisted living facilities, shelters, treatment centers, supportive living, and correctional facilities. And our non-residential settings include workplaces, food and retail, and educational settings. The total number of confirmed cases in institutional settings is 27,492. 14,746 of the confirmed cases are among residents and 12,746 are among staff. I am sad to report that 2,232 residents in institutional settings have died from COVID-19, with the majority of the people who passed away residing in skilled nursing facilities. Of the 11 uh, newly reported deaths today, including the deaths in Pasadena, two were people who were residents at skilled nursing facilities. That's about 18%. The deaths of these most vulnerable of our residents is heartbreaking because they are pillars in our community who are gonna be sorely missed and grieved. We're also reporting 3,412 confirmed cases at some point in jail facilities. 3,044 are among people who are incarcerated and 368 among staff. 
Today, the sheriff's office is reporting for their facilities 41 inmates who are positive, 853 people who are incarcerated and have recovered, 68 people who are incarcerated and are in isolation, and 1,589 people who are incarcerated that are quarantined. There's 194 cases in the state prison, 136 are among people who are incarcerated, and 58 are among staff. And there's 757 cases in the federal prison facilities. 741 are among people who are incarcerated, and 16 are among staff. We now have 117 cases in the juvenile facilities. That's 46 among youth and 71 among staff. As a supervisor noted, over 1.8 million people have been tested and had their results reported in LA County, and 10% were positive. And now we'll put up the first slide. Uh, as I referenced when I began, I am cautiously optimistic as we enter this new month, and I want to show some key trends from this last month in July. As you can see, we started July with an average of about 2,300 reported cases a day, and then we climbed precipitously, but we ended the month with 2,500 uh, cases, an average of 2,500 cases a day. Uh, in between, as you can see, we did hit uh, over 3,000 cases, uh, and we're going to need to continue to bring our case count down. Next slide. Uh, this slide shows the seven-day average positivity rate for the past month, and it shows that the positivity rate has remained relatively flat over the month of July, hovering between 8 and 8.8%. 8 .8%. You could see a slight increase the last couple of weeks. And while we're relieved that the rate has not gone higher, it does remain higher than we'd like it to be in order to get off the state monitoring list because we need the rate to be below 8% for 14 consecutive days. Hospitalizations on the next slide uh, are a key indicator of the health system's capacity. So we monitor this, mo this metric particularly close. As you can see in this slide, at the beginning of the month, we were averaging about 1,900 hospitalizations for COVID-19. Mid-month, we had again a precipitous climb. We ticked up to about 2,200 hospitalizations. And now we find ourselves on the decline with under 2,000 hospitalizations on average a day. This is still higher than we need it to be, but we're encouraged by a downward trend uh, that we've seen over the last couple of weeks. And finally, the next slide shows the average daily deaths for July, which climbed slightly higher for most of the month. We began the month on July 1st with an average of 30 deaths per day, and unfortunately we ended the month with an average of 34 deaths per day. We did anticipate a rise in deaths as hospitalizations increased the first three weeks of July, and death is a lagging indicator. Our thoughts remain with all those who experience the devastation of this virus. We are gonna to continue to work hard with all of our partners to reduce this heavy toll of COVID-19 and particularly pay attention to the disproportionate impact among our Latinx and black residents. The next slide. We do also pay attention to what's happening with deaths at our SNFs because as you remember, this was a driving indicator in the number of deaths we were experiencing here in LA County. 
This graph shows the seven-day rolling average of daily COVID-19 deaths for July. That's the top line on the graph. And the bottom line is the line, the seven-day average of COVID deaths among residents in our skilled nursing facilities. That's the blue line. Uh, as we just noted and how you can see, and now you can see uh, the total deaths for everyone rose slightly over the month of July. However, the number of deaths that have been occurring in our skilled nursing facilities has in fact continuously been coming down. At the beginning of July, the average number of deaths among skilled nursing facility residents was 12, and that was down by a lot from where we were in April and May. But by the end of July, the number has fallen by half to about six average deaths a day. The deaths attributed to COVID-19 have largely and tragically occurred among so many people that have lived in our nursing homes and our other long-term care facilities. And this market improvement is a result of using emerging science to make important changes at facilities so that we could do a better job protecting employees and residents. In just a moment, uh, you'll see why this is so important because we're gonna look at information about the health and well-being of our healthcare workers. Um, now I do wanna update you on contact tracing. Uh, contact tracing, as everyone knows by this point, is a really important tool that we use to help slow the spread of COVID-19. But it's by no means an early detection system. And it can't single-handedly stop the spread of this pervasive virus. However, since the first case of COVID-19 was discovered in LA County, we have been uh, employing a tracking system and a tracing system. We started with paper and in April we moved to a computerized system. Since then, we've issued nearly one 193,000 isolation and quarantine orders to people who were infected with the virus or exposed to it. And we've provided these people with information and support so that they could comply with directives to remain at home away from others. This has undoubtedly saved lives and it has prevented the spread uh, of the virus. But contact tracing during these times here in our county and across the United States remains challenging. People are fearful of sharing personal and health information uh, because they worry about losing their relationships, their livelihood, and their homes. It's also difficult to compare this country's efforts when it comes to contact tracing with countries in Europe and Asia. We are very different in terms of our circumstances. And you have to consider the sheer volume of cases that we're trying to handle here, just in our county. South Korea never saw, saw more than 1,000 positive cases in one day. We routinely see two to three times that volume every single day and have for the last month. And while this county offers so many services to people who are struggling with food and housing insecurity, it's important to note that we don't have the same social safety net that some other countries offer. And we're not able to guarantee that people will be able to support their families if they become sick and they need to isolate or quarantine. We do a lot, but other countries offer uh, guaranteed income for people who are sick and people who need to isolate and quarantine. Contact tracing remains a core public health strategy and we'll always use it to manage infectious disease outbreaks. 
And at this point, we have pledged to continue to enhance and develop our contact tracing efforts as they relate to COVID-19. But we have to continue to understand that its effectiveness uh, is limited. Uh, and it has good uses, uh, and then it has ways uh, that we rely on other places to strengthen our ability to, in fact, contain the virus. It, is, it cannot be used by itself. We do ask that as part of containment, businesses need to comply with the directives that are in front of them. They need to create safe and secure environments for workers, and that's the number one tool to reducing outbreaks in workplaces. The next slide. Uh, since April, our contact tracers have contacted nearly 152,000 people who are confirmed to be infected with COVID-19. 95% of these folks receive their first contact from us almost always via a phone call within 24 hours of the assignment to a contact tracer. 65% of the people that we called agreed to complete the interview with us, and that lasts about an hour. You'll note that in 32% of the cases, we were un unable to locate the person or the person refused to talk with us. We're working to encourage people to be responsive to these efforts by making sure that they have a good understanding of how we protect their information and also asking, us, uh, asking our partners uh, who are community-based organizations to help us build trust uh, with residents uh, so that they understand both the importance and our obligation uh, to maintain their privacy. We are also, starting today, we're offering a $20 gift card incentive for people who are able to complete the interview process. The next slide. After a person is interviewed and has identified his or her close contacts, we reach out to the close contacts. And to date, we have identified more than 82,000 contacts. 78% of the close contacts are reached within one day of assignment. Uh, and the full interview is completed with about 68% of all of the close contacts. We've always been transparent and clear about our contact tracing efforts. The data and the information about this work is always available on our website, and we update the contact tracing dashboard once a week. The next few slides, I want to provide an update on how coronavirus is impacting critical healthcare workers. Uh, because our healthcare system is made up of brave and dedicated people who are in the front line of our battle against this virus by taking care of our family, our friends, and our neighbors, I do want to always uh, come to you each week with an update on how our most essential workers are doing. As of July 30th, and I'll take uh, the next slide, a total number of 11,947 healthcare workers and first responders have been confirmed with COVID-19 in LA County. This is an additional 466 new cases since last week, uh, which is about half as many cases as we reported each of the previous two weeks. And as a reminder, this includes all healthcare workers or first responders who work at a facility in LA County, including those who reside outside of LA County. This slide shows the top 10 occupational settings where the highest number of cases have been reported among healthcare workers. Healthcare workers who are employed in skilled nursing facilities and long-term care facilities continue to make up the highest proportionate of cases at 34%. The next slide. 
Unfortunately, we've had a total of 78 COVID-19 related deaths among healthcare workers in LA County. And as we've reported before, nurses, including LVNs and practical nurses, continue to account for most of the deaths among healthcare workers at 44%. This is followed uh, by caregivers who comprise 10% of all of the deaths among healthcare workers. Our community grieves collectively for those healthcare heroes we have lost to this virus. While many of us were able to stay at home and away from others, these workers put themselves on the front lines caring for our sick loved ones. Their efforts and this immense and irreplaceable loss should remind us that we need to continue to do our part to slow the virus. The next slide. This slide shows the uh, occupational settings with the highest number of deaths that have been reported for healthcare workers. And unfortunately, you can see that healthcare workers at skilled nursing facilities and long-term care facilities continue to account for the majority of these tragic deaths at almost 62%. We'll continue to monitor our data closely this week uh, so that we can continue to take the steps we need to take to slow the spread. We need to protect our healthcare workers and all of our other essential workers that are out there every day doing their jobs so that the rest of us can go about our business. Uh, I know we're seeing positive trends, uh, but I want to make sure to acknowledge that this, these positive trends depend on the commitments we each make every day about how we're going to do our part, how we're going to work together, and how we're going to sustain efforts that can get us to the other side of the pandemic. Our collective goals of slowing the spread of this virus and reopening or keeping open vital community and economic sectors means we must put off the parties, the gatherings, and the trips to crowded places. Uh, this is how we are going to reduce our transmission in the community to a rate that allows teachers and children to safely return to their classrooms and businesses to safely reopen. Now we'll take your questions. And our first question comes from Claudia Pichuda from KNX News Radio. Please go ahead. For the weekend. Um, Claudia, can you start over? May or may not have been a, can you start oh, over? Start over. Oh. Can you hear me now? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, thank you. I'm sure you've seen uh, reports about this party at the Sassafras Saloon uh, in Hollywood over the weekend, which may or may not have been attended by sheriff's deputies. Um, and I'm wondering if that's something that the, the health department is looking into. Um, perhaps uh, the supervisor would like to comment on that. Also, um, the positivity rate, the average positivity rate, was 9.5% on Friday, and now it's dropped to 6.9%. Can you help me understand what? going on there. Thank you. Sure. So I'll, I'll, I'll start off by just saying that um, obviously very disappointed when I saw the video of the party taking place, uh, especially given the allegations that it was law enforcement and law enforcement was supposed to be uh, upholding the, the public health orders. But a full investigation is being done. I know that the sheriff has said that he's looking into it internally. Uh, and so obviously um, I'm very, very concerned. Uh, and with that, I'll let Dr. Ferrer answer the rest of the questions. Yeah, uh, thanks so much, Claudia. Um, so yeah, just to reiterate, um, the Alcohol Beverage Commission is also investigating that party, as is the Department of Public Health. We had inspectors out there the very next day. Uh, as many of you know, that, that place is shuttered and closed uh, for business. The owners have said that they only opened for that private party, but there's a full investigation 
as a, as a supervisor noted on, on what exactly happened there. And I would urge all businesses, uh, you know, there, there is uh, really uh, zero tolerance for having indoor parties um, at, at, your, at your business places, whether it's a private or public party. You've uh, potentially created a lot of exposures, and the possibility that that moves into the community would be, would be uh, a very unfortunate uh, place for us to be right now, as everyone else is working so hard uh, to reduce uh, the rate of transmission. Uh, and thanks, Claudia, for your question on um, how the rates are dropping um, so quickly. Um, those rates depend on uh, the number of positives versus the number of negatives. Those are test result rates. Um, so it also is volume dependent. As I've noted, we've had some problems with reporting from the ELR. We still do. Uh, so we're asking everyone to, to look at that data with some caution uh, while the state uh, rectifies the issues on the electronic lab reporting. Uh, we like to look at it now over a whole week because uh, we've seen so many fluctuations. But it is an important question, and it's why today I talked about uh, our rate really being uh, somewhere between 8% and 8.8%, because if you start averaging these out, uh, we still stay at that number. We're hopeful that we'll start coming down, um, but I urge people, uh, we give you all the data we have, but I urge people to use the same caution we do uh, and not use uh, one single number uh, to make a determination, really look at these rates over a few days. With that, we'll take the next question. And our next question comes from Terry Constant from CBS News. Please go ahead. Hi there. Um, I want to know what a non-reporting hospital is, and I also want to know, like, how how updated is the data that we're getting on hospitalizations? Yeah, thanks so much. Um, so sometimes hospitals just uh, have a problem with their feed. Um, last week, if you'll notice, not only did we have a problem uh, with the state's electronic lab reporting system, but the state also had a problem uh, giving us uh, all of the hospital uh, reports every day. That was really because they had to switch to a different system with the federal government. Instead of going through CDC, which used one platform, they were now going through uh, and reporting their data to HHS, and we're all linked in, uh, in, this, uh, in this data world, and we like to make sure the records that the state has and the federal government has from California match the data that we're using here at the local level. So we, we heavily reliant. Uh, so sometimes there's a non-reporting hospital because they've had a problem with their feed. Sometimes there's a non-reporting hospital because we had some problems last week as the state switched over to a new system. Today's hospital reports, and I believe yesterday's as well, included all of the hospitals here in LA County that re that report uh, this information to us uh, because of the kinds of services they they provide. There are some specialty hospitals that are not included, but um, but all of the hospitals that are providing acute care are in fact in this system. We'll take the next question. And our next question comes from Ryan Carter from LA Daily News. Please go ahead. Thank you. Um, thank you, Doctor. Um, do you, is, is, on the contact tracing, is there a way to um, determine if the, if the outbreak itself comes from within the business or from outside of the business? I'm, I'm thinking of, of, of course, um, some of the higher profile outbreaks at um, LA Apparel and the more recent ones at uh, some of these food processing plants. Yeah, thanks so much. And that's such a really important question is like, you know, how do, how do we know whether workers are bringing the infection into the plant or 
they're getting it in the plant and then taking it to their homes. And, you know, I can say it's complicated to sort this out, but I will note two things. When we go into a facility and they're not implementing the modifications we required that keep workers as safe as possible, you can be certain that there's probably transmission in that workplace. So if we say that workers have to be six feet apart or you need to have impermeable separations, uh, barriers between workers, and you walk into a plant and workers aren't six feet apart, they don't have face coverings on, and uh, they're not being protected with impermeable barriers, you can imagine a lot of scenarios where there's going to be much easier transmission of the virus. If it's not easy for workers to wash their hands or they don't have easy access to hand sanitizer, um, if there's not procedures in place that actually uh, have the employer reporting to us uh, at the health department, as soon as they have three positive cases so we can get in early, then there's likely to be transmission. In places where people are working and they're close together and they're there for long periods of time, if you're not doing every one of the modifications required in the health officer order, it is likely uh, that you're creating an environment where transmission is possible. And at this point, because we have so many people who are infected in our communities and we have outbreaks at so many places where people go to work, I don't think the, the most important thing that we have to worry about is trying to establish, did this person bring it in or are they taking it home? The most important thing we have to do is create spaces everywhere that are as safe as possible for all of our workers, our customers, and our residents. We have time for one more question. And our last question comes from Rob Hayes from ABC7 Eyewitness News. Please go ahead. Hi. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, just a quick question. We've gotten complaints about a gym that stayed open during the latest round of restrictions. Apparently, its management is defining itself as a training studio and saying they're allowed to stay open because of that. Is that legitimate? And if so, what are the differences between a gym and a training studio? Sure, Rob. Dr. Perr? Yeah, thanks so much. I mean, we are struggling a little bit with uh, some of the fitness centers. Uh, our inspectors were out all weekend responding to complaints, urge people to call in or send us an email if you know of a fitness facility that's staying open. Um, we don't really have a designation that allows training activities uh, to be happening indoors uh, and that that's now a training facility for the general public. Uh, there's a special protocol that's in place for major league sporting teams and professional athletes, but it really is, is only uh, at those facilities and they have a lot of other guidances and protocols in place around protecting uh, their workers uh, and their staff uh, and their players. But uh, I, know, I know people are, are devastated uh, that they've just put a lot of time into trying to create fitness centers that were safe uh, when they reopened a few weeks ago to now be told that they have to close uh, their indoor operations. I, I know for many it's, it's devastating and it's heartbreaking, but you do need to close. Um, and our inspectors will be out to help make sure that you are closed. Uh, so thank you. And now we'll move to remarks in Spanish. Buenas tardes. Estamos al comienzo de una nueva semana y un nuevo mes y estamos cuidadosamente optimistas de que estamos volviendo al camino a reducir la propagación de COVID-19. Hay que enfatizar la palabra cuidadosamente. La semana pasada todavía vimos un promedio de 2,000 personas que fueron hospitalizadas cada día. Pero la buena noticia es que nos vemos eh, el mismo nivel de aumento, perdón, um, 
la buena noticia es que no vemos el mismo nivel de aumentos que vimos hace solo unas semanas. Aunque trágicamente seguimos viendo fallecimientos a causa de COVID-19 entre nuestras familias, amistades y vecinos, esperamos que como la cantidad de las personas hospitalizadas se ha, estable, eh, se ha estabilizado, veremos morir a menos personas a causa de COVID-19. Y el número de casos nuevos cada día se ha estabilizado por debajo de 3,000 a entre 2,500 a 2,700 casos nuevos por día. Eso todavía es muy alto, pero marca nuestro progreso. En un momento mostraremos algunos gráficos que muestran estas ten tendencias más acerca. Estas tendencias positivas se pueden atribuir a una variedad de cosas, muchas las cuales eh, fueron sacrificios significativos, eh, todos cuales disminuyeron las oportunidades de transmitir el virus y particularmente en entornos de eh, alto riesgo. En pocas palabras, cerrando los bares funcionó. También funcionó limitar el comer en el interior de los restaurantes y también ayudó a mover las operaciones de varios eh, negocios al aire libre, particularmente en aquellos lugares donde los clientes no podían usar sus cubiertas de tela para la cara o estaban en situaciones entre grupos de varias personas. Junto con esos cambios, eh, continuamos enfocándonos en los más vulnerables, nuestros amigos, familiares y vecinos que viven en hogares de ancianos donde seguimos viendo reducciones en las tasas de transmisión. Y como resultado, tenemos menos fallecimientos entre los residentes de hogares de ancianos desde el principio de junio. Daremos más información sobre los esfuerzos en los centros de enfermería especializada en unos momentos. Y también continuamos nuestros esfuerzos de rastreo de contacto. Eh, como hemos mencionado antes, el rastreo de contactos es solo una de las herramientas que tenemos. Eh, continuamos mejorando y expandiendo nuestros esfuerzos. Um, hasta ahora, nuestros esfuerzos han salvado cientos, sino miles de vidas. Y compartiremos algunos detalles adicionales en unos momentos. Y queremos dar crédito donde se debe. Un gran número de nuestros residentes escucharon nuestras advertencias y siguieron nuestras órdenes, tomaron acciones necesarias para reducir este virus. Y la gente usó sus cubiertas faciales, mantuvieron su distancia física, y especialmente al estar con personas que no viven con ellos, y evitaron reuniones y fiestas y se lavaron las manos. Pero ¿a dónde vamos ahora? Para tener éxito a largo plazo, Necesitamos poder limitar la propagación de COVID-19 mientras avanzamos en nuestro viaje hacia la recuperación. Necesitamos entender nuestra nueva normalidad. No podemos simplemente volver a la vida como la conocíamos antes de marzo. Hace unos meses, cuando colectivamente y exitosamente frenamos la transmisión de COVID-19 y reabrimos muchos de nuestros sectores comerciales y comunitarios, muchos de nosotros decidimos que eso significaba que podríamos regresar a la vida como la conocíamos antes. Simplemente no podemos hacer eso de nuevo. Todavía tenemos un largo camino para reducir la transmisión comunitaria para que eh, nos remuevan de la lista de monitoreo del estado, que es un, un indicador eh, importante de nuestro progreso.
con eso en mente, necesitamos entender nuestros objetivos colectivos. Eh, primero y ante todo, necesitamos frenar la propagación de COVID-19 porque eso protege a nuestro sistema de salud de ser abrumado. Disminuir la propagación nos permite, lugar, nos permite lograr los siguientes objetivos críticos. Lograr que más personas vuelvan al trabajo y reabrir las escuelas para instrucción en el aula. Ambos requieren que la transmisión comunitaria sea baja. Para que las escuelas vuelvan a abrir, necesitamos obtener menos de 100 casos eh, por cada 100,000 personas. Ahora estamos uh, en 355 casos por cada 100,000 personas, lo que es menos que los eh, más o menos 400 casos por cada 100,000 personas eh, que estábamos viendo a principios de la semana pasada. Entonces, aunque tenemos un camino por recorrer, sabemos que tenemos que hacer para llegar ahí. Todos debemos seguir haciendo nuestra parte, incluso usar una cubierta de tela para la cara cuando salgamos de la casa, evitar reuniones sociales y garantizar que nuestros sitios de trabajo sean seguros tanto para los empleados igual que para los clientes. Y ahora les daré la actualización diaria. Estamos tristes de reportar 12 fallecimientos adicionales hoy. Esto eleva el número total de fallecimientos a 4,701 en el condado de Los Ángeles. El 92% de las personas que han fallecido por COVID-19 tenían condiciones delicadas de salud. Para las 4,397 personas que fallecieron donde se identificó la raza etnicidad, 48% son latinas, 25% son blancas, 15% son asiáticas, 11% son afroamericanas, menos de 1% son nativas de Hawái o de las islas del, del Pacífico y 1% son de otra raza etnicidad. Hoy también reportamos 1,634 casos nuevos. Esto eleva el número total de casos en el condado de Los Ángeles a 193,788. Estamos reportando 1,127 casos confirmados entre personas que viven sin hogar. Y 1,784 casos confirmados están actualmente hospitalizados. El 30% de estas personas están en unidades de cuidados intensivos y el 18% están en ventiladores. Hemos investigado un total de 1,305 entornos de congregación residencial y no residenciales con al menos un caso de COVID-19 eh, que es confirmado. El total de casos confirmados en entornos institucionales es de 27,492, incluidos tanto el personal como los residentes. 14,746 de estos casos confirmados son residentes y 12,746 son empleados. Nos da tristeza informar que 2,232 residentes en entornos institucionales han fallecido por COVID-19, lo que representa el 51% de todos los fallecimientos. La mayoría de estas personas residían en centros de enfermería especializada. Estamos reportando también 3,412 casos confirmados en algún momento en las instalaciones de la cárcel. 
3,044 entre personas encarceladas y 368 empleados. La oficina del Aguacil informa sobre sus instalaciones que 41 personas encarceladas han dado positivo, 853 personas se han recuperado, 68 personas están en aislamiento y 1,589 están en cuarentena. Hay 194 casos en la prisión estatal y 757 casos en las prisiones federales y 117 casos en las instalaciones juveniles. 1,804,698 personas han sido evaluadas por COVID-19 y se han reportado los resultados al condado de Los Ángeles. El 10% fueron positivas. Y ahora veremos algunas tendencias clave eh, de este último mes. Uh, first slide, please. Como puede ver, comenzamos el mes de julio con un promedio de aproximadamente 2,300 casos reportados por día. Y terminamos el mes con un promedio de 2,500 casos por día. A mediados del mes, sin embargo, llegamos a algunos días difíciles donde vimos más de 3,000 casos. Necesitamos continuar trabajando para reducir nuestros casos diarios. La semana pasada vimos un promedio de 2,597 casos por día y esperamos continuar viendo una disminución. Next slide. Este gráfico muestra la, la tasa promedia de positividad de siete días durante los últimos dos meses. Muestra que la tasa de positividad se ha mantenido mayormente estable eh, durante el mes de julio, variando entre 8 y 8.8%. Si bien nos sentimos aliviados de que esta tasa no haya aumentado, eh, sigue siendo más alta de lo que quisiéramos. Para salir de la lista de monitoreo estatal, necesitamos que esta tasa se mantenga por debajo de 8% durante 14 días consecutivos. Next slide. Las hospitalizaciones son un, un, un indicador clave de la capacidad del sistema de salud, por lo que vigilamos este dato de cerca. Como puede ver en este gráfico, al comienzo del mes, eh, vimos un promedio de 1,900 eh, hospitalizaciones por COVID-19. A mediados del mes, vimos hasta 2,200 hospitalizaciones y ahora vemos un promedio de 2,000 hospitalizaciones. Nuevamente, esto es aún más alto de lo que nos gustaría ver, pero nos alienta a ver las reducciones en las últimas dos semanas. Next slide. Eh, finalmente, este gráfico muestra el promedio de fallecimientos diarios durante el mes de julio que aumentaron ligeramente al fin del mes. Comenzamos el mes con un promedio de 30 fallecimientos por día y terminamos con un promedio de 34 fallecimientos. Anticipamos el aumento de fallecimientos ya que las hospitalizaciones aumentaron las primeras tres semanas de julio y los fallecimientos es un indicador rezagado. Okay. Next slide. Eh, este gráfico 
eh, muestra el promedio móvil de siete días de fallecimientos eh, diarios de COVID-19, cuál es la línea superior del gráfico, y el promedio de siete días de fallecimientos de COVID-19 entre los residentes de centros de enfermería especializada, que es el resultado final de la gráfica. Como puede ver con la línea verde, el promedio de fallecimientos diarios totales aumentó ligeramente durante el mes de julio, con algunas uh, variaciones día a día. Sin embargo, hemos visto una disminución gradual, pero constante en el promedio de fallecimientos diarios entre las personas que residen en centros de enfermería especializada, que es la línea azul. A principios de julio, el número promedio diario de fallecimientos entre residentes de centros de enfermería especializada era de 12. A finales de julio, ese número se redujo a la mitad, a 6. Los fallecimientos atribuidos a COVID-19 se produjeron en gran medida y trágicamente entre las personas que viven en hogares de ancianos y otros centros de atención a, lo largo, a largo plazo. Lo notable, eh, la notable mejora en esa área es el resultado del uso de la ciencia eh, para realizar cambios importantes que protegen a empleados y a residentes en los centros de enfermería. En solo unos momentos verá por qué eso también es importante al, al analizar la salud y el bienestar de nuestros trabajadores de salud. Ahora queremos actualizarlo sobre el seguimiento el, eh, conocido como el rastreo de, de eh, casos y contactos. El rastreo de contactos es una herramienta importante en nuestros esfuerzos para frenar la propagación de COVID-19, pero de ninguna manera es un sistema de detección eh, temprana que pueda detener la propagación de este virus eh, en nuestras comunidades. Sin embargo, desde que se descubrió el primer caso de COVID-19 en el condado de Los Ángeles, hemos estado rastreando contactos. Desde entonces, hemos emitido casi 1093, perdón, 193 mil órdenes de aislamiento y cuarentena a personas infectadas con el virus o expuestas a, a COVID-19. Y hemos proporcionado a muchas de estas personas información y apoyo a medida que cumplan con las directivas para permanecer uh, lejos de los demás. Sin duda, esto ha salvado a cientos de vidas y ha evitado la propagación del virus. Pero el rastreo de contactos en este país, en estos tiempos, eh, es un desafío. Las personas eh, temen que la información altamente personal y de salud proporcionada al gobierno eh, pueda significar la pérdida de sus relaciones um, familiares o de amistades um, y de sus medios para sobrevivir. También es difícil comparar los esfuerzos de este país uh, cuando se trata de localizar contactos con países eh, en Europa y en Asia. Debe considerar en gran volumen de casos que estamos tratando de manejar en comparación con muchos países. Corea, Corea del Sur nunca vio más de mil casos positivos en un día. Hemos visto dos o tres veces ese volumen cada día durante el último mes. Y si bien está con... Y si bien este condado ofrece tantos servicios a las personas que luchan con la inseguridad alimentaria y de vivienda, es importante tener en cuenta que 
que no tenemos la red de seguridad social que ofrecen otros países y no podemos garantizar que las personas puedan apoyar a sus familias uh, si se enferman y si necesitan aislarse o ponerse en cuarentena. El rastreo de contactos es una estrategia central de salud pública que utilizamos para controlar los brotes de enfermedades uh, infecciosas y continuaremos mejorando y desarrollando en nuestros esfuerzos de rastreo de contactos, uh, pero debemos mantener su efectividad en perspectiva cuando se trata de este nuevo virus eh, que se mueve tan rápidamente uh, a través de nuestras comunidades. Okay. Desde abril, nuestros rastreadores de contacto han localizado a casi 152, perdón, han contactado a casi 152 mil personas que están confirmadas de tener COVID-19. El 95% recibió su primer contacto del Departamento de Salud Pública casi siempre por teléfono dentro de las primeras 24 horas eh, de la asignación a un entrevistador de seguimiento de contactos y el 65% de las personas completaron la entrevista que generalmente dura una hora. Notará que en el 32% de los casos no pudimos localizar a la persona o se negaron a ser entrevistados. Estamos trabajando para alentar a las personas a responder a estos esfuerzos, trabajando con grupos comunitarios para generar confianza y ofreciendo un incentivo de tarjeta de regalo de 20 dólares por participar. Next slide. Después de que una persona es entrevistada y ha identificado sus contactos cercanos, eh, nos comunicamos con esas personas. Hasta la fecha, identificamos más de 82,000 contactos. El, el 78% de los contactos cercanos eh, fueron localizados dentro del día de asignación en 78% de los casos y se completa una entrevista um, el 68% del tiempo. Somos transparentes y claros sobre nuestros esfuerzos de búsqueda de, de contactos. Los datos e información sobre nuestros esfuerzos están disponibles en nuestro sitio web, um, en nuestro tablero de seguimiento de contactos. Los siguientes gráficos proporcionan una actualización sobre cómo el COVID-19 está afectando a los trabajadores críticos de salud. Debido a que nuestro sistema de atención médico está eh, conformado por personas valientes y dedicadas que están en la primera línea de nuestra batalla contra este virus, um, nos gustaría dedicar un tiempo a darle un, eh, uh, más información. Hasta el 30 de julio, un total de 11,947 trabajadores de atención médica y socorristas han sido confirmados con COVID-19 en el condado de Los Ángeles. Se trata de 466 casos nuevos desde la semana pasada. Eso es aproximadamente la mitad de casos nuevos como, informado, como informamos cada uno de, los, uh, de las semanas anteriores. Esto incluye a todos los trabajadores de atención médica uh, de primera o socorristas que trabajan en una instalación en el condado de Los Ángeles, incluidos aquellos que residen, que residen fuera del condado. Next slide. 
este gráfico muestra las diez, uh, di, los 10 diferentes tipos de trabajos um, do, principales donde se ha informado el mayor número de casos. Los trabajadores de salud que trabajan en centros de enfermería especializada y los centros de atención a largo plazo siguen representando la mayor proporción de casos con un 34%. Next slide. Tuvimos un total de 78 fallecimientos relacionados con COVID-19 entre trabajadores de salud en el condado de Los Ángeles. Como hemos, como hemos uh, informado anteriormente, las enfermeras y enfermeros uh, continúan representando la mayoría de los fallecimientos entre los trabajadores de salud uh, y seguidos por los cuidadores. Nuestra comunidad uh, está triste y, y llora colectivamente por los héroes de salud uh, que hemos perdido por este virus. Next slide. Este gráfico muestra la, la perdón, el tipo de, de trabajo con el mayor número de muertes reportadas uh, por trabajadoras de salud. Puede ver que los trabajadores de salud en los centros de enfermería especializada y en los centros de atención a largo plazo continúan representando la mayoría de estas uh, muertes trágicas en un uh, 61.5%. Uh, continuaremos vigilando nuestros datos de cerca esta semana y man mantendremos la esperanza de poder seguir viendo tendencias positivas. Uh, pero esto depende en cada uno de nosotros que podamos hacer nuestra parte. Okay, and now we'll go on to remarks in Armenian. Barrier Bolorin. Snorakal and Verahaskich Bargeren, ye Verahaskich Marmineri Vorch Horutin. Menk no Shapatva, Nuram Svaskus Bumenk, Yevskushoren, Lavatosuren, Tramadervatsen, Vormenk, Veradarnumen, Covid, Tasnini, Taratsuma, Dandaret Snellu, Janaparin. Petke Shestem, Sgushoren Barre. Menk der Tesnumenk, Vor Anchasha Patva Michina, Amen or Dirku Hazard Mart, Hospitalats Fumer. Baitslav, Norutsuna Aine. Vormenk Cheng Tesnum, Nun Makardaki Barsatsum. Vormenk Tesank and Hamena Shaphatner Araj. Tev menk vokperkoren shaunakumenk tesnel vor martik mahanumen covid tasnini artunkum. Husovenk vor kanivor hospitalat sumneri tiva kayonanume avelikich martik mahanan. Yev amenur nor debkeri tiva kayonatsele yerek hazarits tazar, orekan mot yerku hazar hinkaurit, yerku hazar yot haurur debker. Sadr shad bartre, bites aranchetatsa tsuchetalis, as dragan mitumnere karuren. Verakangnel Tarber Banerin Voronsit Shatere, Hangesnumen Eakan Zohaberutsuneri. Ais Popohutsuneri het Mekter, Menk Sharnaketsink, Kentronanal, Mer Amina Hoteli and Zansfera. Of Kera Promen Zeranotsnerum, Vorter Menk Sharnakumenk Tesnel, Puhansman, Kurjatman Temper, Yev Artsunkum, Vachtarvanit, Menk Shat Aveli Kitch Mahereng Tesnum. Menk Sharnaketsink, Nayev mer hetadarts kapi voronman jankere. Inchpesies nachkinu masati kontaktain hetkere. Menk sharnakumen kujagatsnel yev andlainel mer jankere yev perkel hauravor yetevoch hazaravor kanker. Mer yerkarajamket hajogutsan hamar menk petke karuhanang sahmana pakel covid tasnini taratsuma minchev 
առաջ շարժվելով մեր վերականգնման ճանապարհին։ Պետք է հասկանանք նոր նորմալը։ Մենք չենք կարող վերադառնալ կյանք, ինչպես դա գիտենք միջև մարտ ամիսը։ Մի քանի ամիս առաջ, երբ մենք հավաքականորեն եւ հաջողորեն հարթեցինք կորը եւ վերաբացեցինք մեր առանցքային բիզնեսները եւ համայնքային ոլորտի այլ հիմնարկներ մեզանից շատերը որոշեցին որ դա նշանակում է որ մենք կարող ենք վեր սկսել կյանքը միջ համաճարակի հատվածը մենք պարզապես չենք կարող դա կրկնանել մենք դեր ունենք ուղիներ համայնքների փոխանցումը նվազացնելու համար որպիսի կարողանանք դուրս գալ պետության մոնիտորինգի ցուցակից ինչը մեր առանձնացի հիմնական ցուցանիշն է այս պատճառով հաշվի առնելով մենք պետք է հասկանանք մեր ամենակարևոր հավաքական նպատակները նախ եւ առաջ մենք պետք է դանդաղեցնենք կովիդ 19-ի տարածումը քանի որ դա պաշտպանում է մեր առողջական համակարգի ճնշված լինելուց տարածման դանդաղեցումը մեզ թույլ է տալիս իրականացնել հաջորդ կարևորագույն նպատակները ավելի շատ մարդկանց աշխատանքի վերադառնալը եւ դպրոցների վերաբացումը դասարանների ուսուցման համար երկուսնել պահանջվում են որ համայնքային փոխանցումը ցածր լինի դպրոցների վերաբացման համար անհրաժեշտ է որ ամեն 100000 մարդու համար 100 դեպքերից ցածր լինի կովիդ 19-ին այժմ մենք ունենք 355 դեպք յուրաքանչյուր 100000-ին ինչը նախորդ չափաթվաս սկզբից նվազել է որտեղ ունենք ամեն 100000 մարդու համար 400 նոր դեպքեր այսպիսով մինչ մենք գնալու ուղիներ ունենք մենք գիտենք թե ինչ պետք է անենք այնտեղ հասնելու համար ներկա իրավիճակը հետևյալն է այսօր ցավով հայտնում ենք եւս 12 մահվան մասին այս մարդկանցից երկուսը 80 տարեկանից բարձր են որ որոնցից երկուսը ունեցել են ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ այս մարդկանցից 4-ը 65 տարեկանից 79 են որոնցից երկուսը ունեցել են ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ երեք անձի տարիքը 50-ից 64-ն է որոնցից երկուսը ունեցել են ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ Այս մարդկանցից երկուսը 30 տարեկանից 49-ը, որոնցից մեկը ունեցել է ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ։ Սա բերում է ընդհանուր մահերի թիվը 4701-ի Լոս Անջելոս շրջանում։ Էթնիկ պատկանելությունը հետևյալն է։ 48%-ը լատինոլատինեքս, 25%-ը սպիտակ, 15%-ը ասիական, 11%-ը աֆրոամերիկացիներ, 1%-ը հավայան 1%-ը մեկալ ռասա էթնիկ խումբ։ COVID-19-ով մահացած անձանց 92%-ը ունեն ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ, ինչը կարևորում է այն անձանց, ովքեր առողջական խնդիրներ ունեն մնալ տանը եւ հնարավորինը սխուսափել սերտ կապերից։ Այսօր մենք հայտնում ենք 1634 նոր դեպքերի մասին։ Եվ սա բերում է Լոս Անջելոս շրջանի դրական դեպքերի ընդհանուր թիվը 193788-ի։ Այս դեպքերը ներառում են Լոնգ Բիչ քաղաքում մեր գործընկերների կողմից գրանցված 8285 դեպքեր, իսկ Փասադենա քաղաքի կողմից գրանցված 2004 դեպքեր, որոնք ունեն անկախ առողջապահական բաժանմունքներ։ 
մենք հայտնում ենք 1127 հաստատված դեպք անոթևան ապրող մարդկանց շրջանում ապաստան գտած 363 անց պատշաճ կերպով մեկուսացված են իսկ սերտ կապերը կարանտինացված են ներկայումս հոսպիտալացվել են 1784 մարդ, որոնցից 30 տոկոսը գտնվում են ինտենսիվ խնամքի բաժանմունքում, իսկ 18 տոկոսը միացված են շնչառական օդափոխիչների։ Ներկայումս քննություններ են կատարվում 1305 ինստիտուցիոնալ բնակչության հաստատություններում։ Դրանց թվում են ծերանոցներ, ապաստաններ, բուժման կենտրոններ, ուժանդակվող բնակելի հաստատություններ եւ քրեակատարողական հիմնարկներ։ Ինստիտուցիոնալ միջավայրում հաստատված ընդհանուր դեպքերը 27492-ն են ներառյալ անձնակազմը եւ բնակիչները։ Այդ դեպքերից 14746-ը բնակիչներ են եւ 12746-ը անձնակազմ։ Ցավով են հայտնում, որ 2232 մարդ ապրում են ովքեր ապրում են ինստիտուցիոնալ պայմաններում մահացել են COVID-19-ից։ Ինստիտուցիոնալ միջավայրում բնակվող մահացածների 51%-ը բնակվում էին հմուտ բուժքույրական հաստատություններում։ Մենք զեկուցում ենք, որ հաստատված 3412 դեպքեր արձանագրվել են քրեակատարողական հիմնարկներում։ 194 դեպք նահանգային բանտերում 757 դեպք ֆեդերալ բանտերում, 117 դեպք անչափահասների հաստատություններում։ Եվ Լոս-Անջելես շրջանի արձանագրված բոլոր նոր դեպքերի զեկույցը կարող եք տեսնել առողջապահության վարչության կայքում publichealth.lacounty.gov։ Ավելի քան 1.8 միլիոն մարդ տեստավորվել են եւ արդյունքները զեկուցվել են Լոս-Անջելես շրջան, որից 10% դրական են։ Մենք այս շափած շարունակելու ենք ուշադիր հետևել մեր տվյալներին եւ հույսով ենք, որ կկարողանանք շարունակել տեսնել դրական արդյունքներ։ Բայց դա կախված է այն պարտավորություններից, որոնք մենք յուրաքանչյուր օր կատարում ենք մեր մասը միասին, աշխատելու եւ մեր ջանքերը պահպանելու ուղությամբ։ Մեզ այս ճանապարհին մյուս կողմը անցնելու համար այս վիրուսի տարածումը դանդաղեցնելու եւ համանքային տնտեսական հատվածները բացելու հնարավորության համար մեր հավաքական նպատակները նշանակում են որ մենք պետք է հետաձգենք հետաձգենք կողմերի հավաքույտների եւ ուղևորության դեպի մարտադաշտ վայրերը որպիսի հասնենք համայնքների փոխանցման ցածր ցուցանիշներին որպիսի երեխաների եւ ուսուցիչները կարողանան ապահով վերադառնալ իրենց դասասենյակները եւ բիզնեսները ապահով կերպով վերաբացվեն։ Գիտեմ, որ մենք բոլորս ցանկանում ենք տեսնել, թե ինչպես է մեր կյանքը վերադառնում նորմալի։ Շնորհակալություն։ Thank you. This concludes the press conference. This episode of LA Public Health was produced by the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Our department is nationally accredited by the Public Health Accreditation Board and is committed to protecting and improving the health of over 10 million residents in Los Angeles County. For more information about DPH programs and services, visit publichealth.lacounty.gov and follow us on social media at LA Public Health. 
My name is Steve Baldwin, and you've been listening to the LA Public Health Podcast.